What's going on, everybody? You are now listening to episode six of The Landry Show. Really excited again. Back-to-back episodes. We have guests on the show. I have with me tonight um, Kevin Turner from 105.3 The Fan in Dallas. If you don't know about 105.3 The Fan, they are the flagship radio station for the Dallas Cowboys, uh, Rangers, Stars, Mavericks, all DFW sports. If you don't live in the area... Uh, like me, you can check it out on the radio.com app. I listen to it every day. Kevin's with the Ben and Skins uh, show. You can hear him in the late afternoons. Kevin, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. And uh, I really appreciate uh, you listening to the Ben and Skins show uh, on the fan as well, man. I really appreciate that. Yes, sir. I certainly appreciate it. You guys can also follow uh, Kevin on Twitter at KT Fun Tweets. Definitely one of my favorite follows on Twitter. So uh, jumping straight into it, Kevin. Um, I'm actually going to call you KT from now on. So yeah, it's just, fine. Uh, yeah, we'll lose the, info- the formality a little bit. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to get a, a ton into missing the playoffs and stuff like that. I feel like that's been plenty covered um, for Cowboys fans. I want to move past it, get on. Um, one of the things that's been going on this week a little bit are some of the coaching changes. Um, I, I think we – our special teams coach has been allowed to leave. Uh, Wade Wilson's retiring. What are some of your thoughts on these coaching changes, and how do you feel about Jason Garrett remaining with the Cowboys? Yeah, you know, I think I think it's real strange. Like, you can't do anything about you know a guy wanting to go take a job on another staff, uh, but the Cowboys don't deal with a lot of that because they are the Dallas Cowboys. So losing Bisaccia, I think that's something. I mean, uh, the special teams hasn't been a problem. Now you can say, oh, well, your special teams is only as good as your kicker and punter and your return games are kind of whatever. I I do think there's a structure to special teams, and I do think there's something to that. I also think Passaccio was a special teams coach who had say in the draft room. They would take guys, you know, a a big part of it would be, can can these guys help us on special teams Mm -hmm. and all four special teams? So I think that's important. Uh, I think you look around, and it is strange because – if you're not making any changes, then why are so many changes happening? Right. Uh, Wade Wilson retiring or let go? What's what's the real story there? I don't know. Uh, is Derek Dooley, is he really gone or is he not? Uh, he was frustrated with the playbook, according to reports. That's something, you know, that's something to actually think about. You start to look at defensive back coach Joe Baker. I personally am a big Joe Baker fan. They've got a guy on the staff named Greg Johnson that they, uh, Greg Jackson that they like a lot. Could probably take over that role. Okay, that makes sense. Eberflus is like I'm tired of kind of waiting around and not being a defensive coordinator. If Josh McDaniels gets hired, and I think we all kind of think the Patriots' offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels will get a head coaching job, it sounds like Eberflus is going to be his go-to guy for defensive coordinator. So you got a lot of names that you're potentially losing who have been around for a long time, and that's not to mention the O-line coach, the tight end coach. I mean, this this goes on for days and days, and I think that is a lot of change to the structure. And if you're going to have that much change in the structure, shouldn't you just blow up the whole thing and have a whole new uh, set of people coming in? Um, but I, I understand the value of Jason Garrett to Jerry Jones. I feel like the Bill Parcells years kind of exhausted him. I think he had fun with it. But, you know, Jason Garrett, there's value to a guy who does everything uh, in a very PC manner and you kind of control it all and control the layout. You know, with Scott and Rod, I think Rod Marinelli's been great. Deserves a lot of credit for the development of the defensive line. You know, 
I think a, a lot of credit is due there. And I think Scott Linehan deserves a little bit of leeway because this was a really good offense the last, uh, not the last eight games, but in 2016 and in the first eight games of 2017. This is a really good offense. So I do think it's weird how we come out and criticize things. Scott Linehan's been off, a good offensive coordinator, except when Kellen Morton has had to play quarterback and except when Zeke's been out and except when Tyron's been hurt. So, you know, we all like to start going and blaming things on people, but it's all it's always a bit bigger uh, a bit bigger pizza, if you will, <laughs> than just one slice. Well, and it's funny and name me an offensive coordinator that could do well with Kellen Moore at quarterback, Tyron yeah. Smith not at left tackle, and Ezekiel Elliott not in the backfield, right? So I think Cowboys fans, myself included, um, can be very short uh, minded, have a very short memory, right? And just I feel like naturally a bit entitled, right? I, I, Mike Fisher talks about that all the time. Uh, on the fan and on Twitter, very entitled fan base. Um, and I think we just expect more than we we should. Uh, and I think the biggest loss for me potentially is going to be the special teams coach, like you said. Um, I think we have a great special teams. I think we arguably have one of the better, if not you know, top three, top four, kicker punter tandems in the NFL. I do think Chris Jones was a bit of a snub in the Pro Bowl. Um, you look at guys like Kayvon Frazier, who've made their names in special teams, Ryan Switzer improved throughout the season. Special teams has made a big difference in a lot of our big games. You look at the Eagles game last year with the Chris Jones fake punt. That really turned around that game completely, right? The Raiders game this week, or pardon me, this season, Aside from the past few weeks, Dan Bailey is, has been as consistent as any player at any position possibly can be, right? So I think that's I think people underestimate a lot of um, the special teams aspect to a team's success. And I really like what you said about him having say in the draft room, um, because I I do think there is value in having special team specific players on your roster. Um, with Iberflus, I. Yeah, it's kind of like Jason Garrett was a couple of years ago when Wade Wilson was still the head coach, and Jason had all these head coaching offers, right? Remember that? when he Yeah, the Ravens um, wanted him big to, time. Had to, yeah, you just had to throw a bunch of money at him and pray that you could keep him. I think Iberflus is, is in that same position. Um, I do see us leave it. Uh, pardon me, I do see him leaving. But you brought up a good point when you said there's a lot of coaching changes happening for not a lot of coaching changes happening, right? I feel like some of these secondary guys are a little bit of scapegoats. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And I also think another part of it is that, hey, some of these contracts were up too. I mean, you look at that, and I say, okay, well, if if contracts help you, these guys want more money, and maybe you're not happy with what they've done, or uh, maybe you're just not willing to pay that much money for that, and maybe you think you could get someone on the open market to take that job. You know, that, there's something to that as well. We don't talk about assistant coaches' salaries very much and things like that. But, you know, it is – with Bisaccia, you're losing a guy who's going to work with, you know, kind of where he came from. He's worked with Gruden mm-hmm. before. Okay, that's fine. There's nothing you can do about that. Now, you need to go have a good special teams coach because that can, as you just kind of said, can win and lose you games. It absolutely can and has for the Cowboys. 
Um, you know, it's the little things like Wade Wilson, when there has been a little weirdness at quarterback position, we can be honest with that. Um, is he retiring or is he getting fired or is he quitting? Like, what what is the true story there? And I'm not sure that whole truth came out yet. The Derek Dooley thing, the reports of him being frustrated with the playbook, there we go. That's coming a couple days after Dez said, you know, that there were some scheme issues, which we can all see and we all know about. Um, you know, there's a lot. I, I would imagine Derek Dooley wasn't real pumped about not being able to utilize his fourth-round draft pick at wide receiver, Ryan Switzer, on offense. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm not saying Ryan was ready to go step in and do it. I just think it's weird that we never got got to see a chance at all at at it at all until week 17. And that's where you go into well, maybe that's a Jason Witten thing. Like we know Witten's going to play, uh, and we want Witten on the field as much as possible. He's a, he's still a good player, but you're telling me Witten couldn't come off the field twice, three, four, five times a game. Mm-hmm. You know, once a series. You're telling me we couldn't throw out more formations and packages at them than, than what we did? I find that a little hard to believe, and that's where you get to a lot of issues with the scheme. And that's the thing about all this. Like, this year there's more problems to deal with because they're 9-7 and seven and they didn't look good down the stretch. Last year there were still problems on the team that you have to fix. You just kind of tend to ignore that when you're 13-3. and three. Mm-hmm. Every team, thanks to the salary cap, has holes to fill every single year. And that's just kind of where you where you attack the offseason. But the structure that you talked about keeping in place with Garrett, Linehan, and Marinelli, and they believe that those guys can win. And you know what? I do too because they have. They haven't won big games. Um, and I'm not some guy who's advocating them keeping their job forever. But it is a little irrational to just start chopping heads without having a good succession plan in mind. And as of right now, we don't really know what that succession plan would be should you start rolling heads. So, you know, I, th- I think it's – and it's also, look, Cowboys fans right now aren't happy. They're mad because they didn't make the playoffs. I think they do if Zeke doesn't get suspended, you know, and I think they do if Tyron doesn't get hurt. And I think they do if Sean Lee's healthy for 16 games. It's just – that is that is what it is, and that's kind of the beauty of Dallas Cowboys football. And talking about it, there is always an endless line of stories and – theories and dilemmas and uh just what things and, and this yeah thing. questions and, and th- things to chop up what's funny is you know we won four of our last five games yeah and you know what i'm saying like we're acting like we just had a complete collapse and that's not really the case at all we won four of our last five games the the november stretch was tough but i'm one uh, so it's not even that late season frustration in terms of losing multiple games, we lost one. Um, and usually it's the other way around. We usually, um, we have a really great November and a really poor December, but now is the other way around. So it's just, it's just part of it, right? It, it's part of football. It's part of being a fan. You get in these situations. Um, I do think Scott Linehan needs to be given a little bit more leeway. Um, what was he supposed to do, right? I was talking with somebody today, and the the talk of Dat Prescott's stats dropping after Zeke was suspended has, you know, that's been well talked about, well analyzed. And I would argue that I would like to argue that I don't think the drop in stats was as much to Zeke 
as I, th- I think some of it had to do when you get sacked six times in a game by one player in, th- in the Falcons game, I think that had a lot of lasting effect on Dak. So I- I'm hard pressed to blame this all on Scott Linehan, to blame this all on Jason Garrett. Um, I am a big Rod Marinelli fan. I think he's done a lot with a little over the past few years. Um, the only downside or, or negative thing I have to say about Marinelli is that he allowed Sean Lee to be that vital to the defense. Not, I'm not taking any away from Sean Lee. He's a fantastic player. But it's somewhat embarrassing that you take one player out of the defense and your guys don't even know how to line up, right? I yeah. Mean, that, that, was, that was never really talked about because – Sean Lee's such a great player that you just put it all on him. Oh, man, he's so great. He's out of the lineup. They don't know what to do. But at the same time, you're sitting here thinking, wait a second. Why has Rod Marinelli allowed this? Sorry. I know some of that goes in with Jalen Smith. I'm sorry there, man. Something popped up on one of the windows I had open. Still there? Oh, yes, sir. Okay. Um, I think – Landry, do I have you? Yes, sir. Do you hear me? All right, guys, a little bit of a technical difficulty, but we're back. So like I was saying, uh, KT, I really like what Rod Marinelli's done. I think he's done a lot with the little over the past couple of years. Like I said, the only thing I would have against him is that he allowed Sean Lee, not from a production standpoint, standpoint, but just from a the defense being able to get together standpoint, how much of an impact he made. You shouldn't have one player miss, and your defense not being you know not being able to function or know how to line up. Um, so, I, like I said, I think Jason Garrett, Linehan, Marinelli, I'm for them staying. I think when you see uh, Cowboys fans want another head coach, my question to them is who? Who would you like to hire? Um, and and I, I think that I think we're good where we're at with our head coach and our coordinators. Yeah, part of that is the trend of everything like Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan. Well, oh, those yeah. those guys aren't everywhere. Those guys are two guys. Like, give us exactly. like, like Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan. Like, even Sean McVay had been a pretty, uh, I would say, well-known in football circles as a guy who's going to be a coach one day. Same for Kyle mm-hmm. Shanahan. They're kind of grooming him into that. Like, those guys just aren't around anymore. It's his own thing. Like people are mad at uh, Dak because Dak didn't play well, you know, in the last half of the season. Well, a lot of that's Carson Wentz and Jared Goff oriented. Everyone's looking at those two guys. Like, yeah, those guys went one two for a reason. They're better quarterbacks than Dak. They're better than Dak in college. Yeah, it's okay. You you got Dak Prescott in the fourth round. What did you expect year two? They didn't expect anything, right? And it and it's like to not expect development, especially when Tyron's out. And literally after that Atlanta disaster, I guarantee you Dak was not looking downfield and feeling confident about going Absolutely. through his through his reads and his progressions because he's thinking about the guy who's about to tackle him. So maybe he's looking off guys before they're able to break open. You know, maybe guys were getting open. He just didn't have time to look at them because he's got to move to read too because he's making everything uh, go a little bit faster because he knows he doesn't have a chance at staying upright. So yeah, I, I think I think that's a part of it too. Like when, uh, you, and I think you had Marcus Mosher on, or you're going to have Marcus Mosher on your your podcast. 
Um, you know, he had a stat that Dak's quarterback rating with Tyron was like 96 or something. And without him was like, you know, 60 or something like well, that. Yeah, it's unbelievable. 51. Like, why, it was shocking. Yeah, and that's why I mentioned earlier the drop-off in stats after Zeke left. I think, yes, it was, you know, you lose, I'll say, your most talented player on offense, maybe not your most important. But I think so much of it had to do with that Atlanta game. It was the first game Zeke was gone, and then you did sack six or seven, eight times in one game. You're going to remember that for the next three, four weeks. Um, so I, I, I think that has a lot to do with it. If you look at Dad Prescott in the first few weeks of the of the season, he was having a great season, um, MVP caliber season, in my opinion. If he would have kept it up, but when you go to the Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, Dad Prescott arguments, I would yes, Carson Wentz and Jared Goff are better quarterbacks than Dad Prescott is. I think we got the best value because we were able to draft. Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott in the same year, right? So I wouldn't trade that draft for theirs any day. I think we still have a very, very, very solid above-average quarterback, mm -hmm. a top-right running back. I wouldn't, you know, trade it for um, for anything else that anybody else had. But um, well, that so can I, be a, that can be a top ten quarterback, and oh, I, yeah, I agree. And and top ten quarterbacks can go win you Super Bowls. And you talked a little bit earlier in the show about. You know, sometimes Cowboys fans get entitled or, or, or whatever. Um, yeah, they like to, they like to win, like all fans do. But like it, for me, it's not real hard to go back to the early two thousands when we have a revolving door at quarterback. Mm -hmm. Like, so I'm shocked at all the people who want Dak out already. I'm like, come on, don't you want to stick and give the guy a chance to develop? Um, like, I, like just acting like Cooper Rush needs to be thrown out there and he's the next thing, like. That's how you get in a situation like you did in the early 2000s where you lost every single year because you didn't have a quarterback. Yeah, do do people not remember that Quincy Carter was once our quarterback? Chad Hutchinson, right. yeah, Ryan I mean, Leaf, and yeah, go for and, days. And we we had the way past our prime, Vinny Testaverde and Drew Bledsoe. And, uh, so, yeah, I, I've really – I'm not really there for any of that talk. I think it's very sensationalized. Um, I, think, I agree. I think media outlets like ESPN have a lot to do with that too. They they feed off of it. They love to hate the Cowboys. Um, I, I mean, I've pretty much stopped watching ESPN, anything football related uh, anymore. But I think that takes us to my next point a little bit that I um, want to go into is what's the biggest thing you took away from this season whether it be um, a specific player, personnel group in general, um, what's the biggest takeaway? Well, I, I think for me, there's there's a lot of things. Um, a, this coaching staff is not; uh, they don't excel at adjusting. And I'm not talking halftime adjustments. I'm talking basic things. I'm talking Chaz Green's getting beat. Fix it. I'm talking Dak might be game plan differently. Let's fix it. I'm talking we can't run the same routes all the time with certain receivers. We need to fix that. So that's kind of something that was my biggest takeaway is kind of realizing, kind of being emphasized again, this staff is really good at putting a good plan together. They're not really good at fixing it quickly when things go awry. And, you know, that's something I think I always remember. I also always remember it's never good. Uh, or, you, or you can't underestimate the importance of as little distractions as possible. 
no matter what anyone says, that Zeke thing was a hindrance to this mm-hmm. team. No matter what anyone says. Obviously, the six games. What about the weeks before that, where it's just a question mark? Off. Yeah, the like how we found out on Thursday. Play, yeah. yeah, that that stuff matters, man. It really does. And I think that's something I remember. I also remember this stuff. I also remember a really strong year by the defensive line, kind of mm-hmm. developing. And we've been trying. We've been wanting that for a for a long time. So, I think that's something to keep in mind too. Yeah, and I agree with you. Um, a lot was made of the halftime adjustments in those three November games. Because if you remember, the Falcons and the Eagles, I think we were leading in both. I know we were leading. We were winning against the Eagles, right, like 9-7 to seven mm-hmm. or something like that. I'm, I'm pretty sure we were either beating the Falcons or really, really, really close. And we were really close into the tail end of that Falcons game as well. But to your point, did it really take, I think – Adrian Claiborne had six sacks. Five of them came from Chaz Green and one came from Byron Bell. At what? Why not at sack number three in the first half? Did you not think maybe we need to try something else? Right. I mean, uh, I mean, a blind puppy could have saw that. Exactly. You can't leave him one on one, and they just stuck with it one on one all game. They didn't try to change. And I feel like there's a a stubbornness there. I agree. Almost, almost. Uh, a pride issue, right? Like old school football, we're going to line up and run it no matter what, because that's what we do. And I think there's this pride stubbornness in there saying we game plan that we're going to stick with this unless until it just absolutely destroys us. And then when it's too late, we'll try to figure something out. And that's the things that, that's the things that bother me the most about the Garrett, uh, I guess, regime, if you will, that and, and game management's poor. You know, mm-hmm. um, and whatever. I don't need. It's annoying, but I don't need Garrett to come out and put on a show at a press conference. Okay, I can handle that. I don't need him coming up and saying, "Oh, it's my fault. I'm sorry." I don't need that. I don't like being blatantly lied to. Like when he came on, I believe he came on our station after the Seattle game and said, "Well, we've had a lot of success in the red zone." When kind of asked about that red zone sequence, and I'm mm-hmm. sitting there going, "Yeah, well, the Oakland game the week before, you did not have success in the red zone either. It almost cost you." Mm-hmm. Like, like those are the types of things that bother me. Game, I don't see a big improvement in game and clock management. I mean, it's weird that in week 17, out of nowhere, the Cowboys are the only team in the league almost that received when they win the toss. Okay, it's so sometimes it's out of your, sometimes you lose the you lose the toss and it's out of your control or whatever. In week seventeen, all the, out of nowhere, they win the toss and defer. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. Why is this just now happening? It's yeah, real weird. I, I, I've I don't know why anybody ever receives in the first half, but I mean that's a separate topic within itself. It the the Garrett regime, or and I think this season really pointed it out. It's frustrating because at the worst times they'll stick to their game plan, and then when you're first in goal from the three, yeah decide to abandon it right uh, what is the thinking there and and that's just what i understand um but to your point this uh the defensive line i think that's something that needs to be talked about a little bit more not just the defensive line but our defense is general i i have um on my notes here wanted to talk about one of the things you feel best about going into the next season and i think it's the defense as a whole um Obviously, Demarcus Lawrence um, had a great year, uh, Pro Bowl, you know, 
double-digit sack season. A lot's been made of the secondary, the young guys. But I think the improvement and the development of Taco Charlton was big. Yeah, I agree, man. Um, and and Jalen Smith. I mean, in the beginning, in the middle of the season, there were a lot of guys that were really just ready to just dump them, right? I mean, admittedly, a lot of guys from your station, too, were just anti-Taco Charlton big time. And understandably so, he was rated one of the worst defensive ends. I get it. I feel like there was a very short leash there because – there was a lot of second guessing that draft pick to begin with. However, the way Taco Charlton and Jalen Smith came on in the middle to the late end of the season, it was almost a complete 180 um, in a lot of ways. So the defense, surprisingly enough, I, I can't remember the last time I said this as a Cowboys fan, may be our stronger uh, side of the ball in the next you know, five, six, seven years. Yeah, and it's also impressive because if you look at just right now, I don't think it'll change a little bit, but going into 2018, you spend the fourth most money in the NFL on offense and the fourth least amount of money on defense. So you're also kind of getting on. Now, again, that'll change. That'll probably change when you franchise tag Demarcus Lawrence or if you sign him. You look at, you know, I'm inspired by Taco. Taco didn't have much of a chance going into it because everyone wanted TJ Watt, Mm. me included. Um, justify, I am justifiably so, right? He was great in a 3-4 in Pittsburgh. I don't know how he would have been in a 4-3, but I feel confident he would have gave him more than Taco did. But I liked what Taco – I liked what he showed, his progression throughout the year. Jalen showed that we can at least have him in the conversation for being middle, starting middle linebacker next year, especially when you can't pay Hitchens, which I, I believe will probably happen. I don't really see them getting Hitchens done. You know, the Jalen thing is not a pick that I wanted to happen either. And it's year three, so it is time for that pick to pay off. You know, we're enough of a free pass on that pick. It is time for that to pay off. And I feel like there's a decent chance it might. I feel like Jalen's going to be a much better player next year. So, you know, I like all that. You look at guys like David Irving, they were able to get something out of. Tyrone Crawford just being solid, you know. Mm -hmm. Maybe not really knowing what he is, a tackle on my end. Well, you know, finally settling in. And being good, I look at all that, and I, I find that to be really encouraging, and that's without even talking about the young secondary. So, you know, I feel pretty good about where this defense is headed once they get everything, uh, you know, continue to keep everything together and aligned and moving forward. I feel good about it, man. I agree with you, and I think Tyrone Crawford is um, very underappreciated. Uh, yeah. I, I think guys like him in general are – like you mentioned, which that's a stat I didn't know that we spend the fourth least amount on defense. It made sense now that I think about it. Yeah. But you need solid guys. They're not great. They're not awful, but they're solid, right? You don't have to worry about them. And he's a he's a good influence in the locker room. I think guys like him around the league are just very underappreciated. And in this fantasy football-driven, stats-driven fandom, Guys like him get kind of tossed to the wayside a little bit, similar to Jason Witten. Um, stats, uh, you know, just considering stats only, guys like him get forgotten about. I'm a big Tyrone Crawford fan. He had a couple of really great moments throughout the season, the blocked field goal uh, against Washington among one of those. But, yeah, I think one of the biggest things I like about our secondary going into the next year is the versatility Last uh, episode, I had Patrick Walker 
on yeah. you know, 247 Sports, CBS Sports. Yeah, we he had him on the show. We talked a little bit about it. And I think the biggest strength we have on our defense going into that season is how many guys in our secondary can play multiple positions. Uh, you look at Byron Jones, safety slash corner. Wuzier played a little bit of both in uh, in college. Xavier Woods was drafted as a safety. He can play that slot role now. Um, you know, Orlando Stanchard's probably going to be gone. So you have your youth stepping up, and they can play multiple positions. And I think that's really going to benefit us. You know, absolutely. And I, I think, too, a lot of that is guys who fit the scheme a little bit better. Like, this scheme is made to play a little bit of zone and some man. Um, but, mm-hmm. yeah, we're going to get a lot of a zone. Brandon Carr and Mo Claiborne are guys, you know, who were not drafted for this scheme. There were players in it, and those guys are kind of man-type corners, you know, uh, more comfortable in man, struggle a little bit in zone. You start adding guys like Jordan Lewis, Awuzier, Xavier Woods, you know, those are guys who can play zone and played a lot of zone in college as well. And when they can do both, that really helps the scheme. Having guys who are drafted for the scheme, I think that really makes a difference. Um, and you know, whatever, like, I, I wanted Byron to stay at corner when he was drafted. I didn't really like him being moved to safety and they ended up kind of hurting him and stunning his growth by making him play safety, nickel corner and outside corner. Like to me, that was not a good move. I didn't know though Xavier Woods. Like I saw him in, on the college tape watching Louisiana tech. I'm sitting there going, yeah, he can play nickel corner. Great. Um, but I don't know. He's a safety, right? And then he comes in and he plays a lot of nickel corner. And I was like, wow, yeah, well, I knew he could do it. I just didn't know he was going to excel at it like that. And that quickly. So, so, I mean, there's there's a lot there. You know, you hope these guys are all healthy. You know, Cheeto and a, uh, Cheeto and a Jordan Lewis being hurt and having a slow start to the year, you know, didn't help anything either. You get those guys healthy and everyone, you know, rolling at the same time. I feel really good about the defense going forward. They're not going to be a top five. Defense, I don't see them being that, but maybe, you know, they're, they're going to be a really solid defense, and that's all they need. That's all they really need is that defense to be solid. You're right. If we can be top 12 and just a bend but don't break defense, sort of, you know, very similar to how we were against the Rams and give up by six or seven field goals, I'll take that any day. Give me a top 12 defense that is slightly better in scoring defense and give me – you know, the most time of possession in the league. And I'll take that. And I think that's what, you know, the Cowboys are going for, obviously. Um, so, yeah, I feel really good about it. And especially when some of these guys are on their rookie contracts or we got them for really cheap, like you said. I think Malik Collins also had a really good year. Um, I think he did a lot for David Irving this season. So you look at Hitchens had a fantastic year. Sean Lee, you can't you know, ever overstate his importance. Your secondary guys, Jeff Heath, made some big plays. A lot of things uh, to look forward to on the defensive side of the ball. I want to flip the coin a little bit. And uh, what's the thing you worry about the most going into 2018? I think health of Tyron Smith. I think that's something to keep an eye on. I mean, a back you're always worried about. I think just counting on fully counting on Jalen to be your starting middle linebacker and at this point not having that much depth that's something that's a bit of a concern for me as well I mean those are two things I think that are hard to uh you know 
that, that's going to be hard to get past if someone gets hurt there and you don't have a ton of depth at the linebacker. And the other thing is more of an outlier because uh, it's it's unknown. If, if we find out in 2018 that that quarterback's just not that good, I mean, Dak Prescott's just not that good of a quarterback, yeah, that's where you start to go, okay. Now, I don't think that's the case. I, I, t- I truly think at the least he's a top 15 quarterback in this league and most likely going to end up being top 12 or 10. But if we do come out of 2018 going, oh, crap, we had a quarterback issue, that's something that's always going to be concerning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think Tyron Smith is going to be a big deal. Um, you know, he's always had the on and off injuries, but this is to the point where guys, I feel like guys his size don't ever fully recover, right? Especially when it's a back. Uh, I mean, I'm in no means a medical expert or anything like that, but when you're that large, I don't feel like you'd never just fully heal. Um, so this offseason is going to be bid for him. It's obvious. Let me ask you this. is Who's more important, Tyron Smith to the offense or Sean Lee to the defense? You know, if you asked me this back in October, I would have told you Sean Lee. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I really think it's Tyron because I, I think so much of what Dak does and Dak's confidence is related to having time and having Tyron there to – uh, really protect him. I mean, those those numbers are shocking. The way he played without yeah. without Tyron, so uh, it, it would be Tyron. But it's it's real close, man. It's real close, and I think we can easily say those are the two most you know valuable players to either side of the ball. And what's scary is you know they're the two most valuable players, and they're also two of the more injury prone on our team. And uh, you know, Sean Lee's not getting any younger. Tyron Smith is still, I mean, he's been in the lead for years now, but he's still fairly young. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that is a definitely something of concern, you know, two most valuable players being two, you're more injury prone. But I like that you talked about Dak a little bit because that's something I do want to touch on just for a couple of minutes. You look at last season, and I feel like he was a victim of his own success a little bit, right? Um, a little bit RG3 syndrome. However, I think – if you just bring it back to bases, I think he has a lot of things going for him moving forward. And I really think those three games in November were a massive outlier. Um, he had, a, you know, he had those rough three games, a couple of good bounce back games, Redskins and Giants, a so-so game against the Raiders, a very poor game against Seattle. I really don't count the Eagles game because it was a meaningless Week 17 game. But I, I think... I think he just had a few outliers there. I don't like to make excuses for him, but I mean, he's still 22 touchdown passes. I think, you know, four or five or six rushing touchdowns, not a horrible season by any means. No, not, not at all. It's just, you know, there's a couple standards, the, his rookie season, which is the best rookie season the quarterbacks ever had Romo, which people still talk about, although it drives me crazy um, it, because yeah. it's just, he's not in the league anymore. We just need to drop that. Uh, he's got to be better. We know he's got to get better. There are things he needs to get better at, and I think he will. I think there are things third-year quarterbacks do, third year in the system. Maybe the playbook's a little bit different next year in terms of how they want to scheme it out and all that. Maybe you can take a little less off his, uh, off his plate. Um, you know, and look, the accuracy's got to get a little bit better at times. Seeing the full field's got to get better. Some of those things you are, are learned through film and stuff, but like – 
some of those things you just naturally have too. Uh, and it maybe maybe he doesn't have that ability to see, you know, 30, 40 yards downfield and still make the reads. Maybe that's not a thing for him. That's okay. Um, I mean, it's not, it's not right. You don't, you didn't, they didn't draft him expecting him to be able to do all that stuff. So these are things that he struggled with coming out of Mississippi state anyways. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and throwing the ball down the field consistently. And if you look at his two biggest, you know, issues this season, throwing the ball downfield consistently accurately and his accurate in the, you know, medium passing game. So I, if, for fans out there, look at not to stare at them because this was Winston and Mariota's third season, but look at Jameis Winston was one of the you know best quarterback prospect prospects. Pardon me to come out in a long time, and he's he's still learning and still struggling. You just got to give these guys time a little bit, and and I you're you're exactly correct. Stop bringing it up, Romo. Yeah, he's done. He's happy. Let him move on. I wasn't a fan of him losing his job. Um, I was, I've always been a very big Tony Romo fan, and I still am, but it's, we're over it, right? Yeah, there's not it's, a team in the world that would have given him the job at that time either. No, I mean, there's, I not a, it's, there's no one who would have done it, you know? So it's not even a, it's not even a thing. And like, to me, like, I don't, I'm not ruling out the fact that Tony could have came back and played. Like Tony's the one who had the big speech saying this is Dak's team. I mean, that was his decision. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of stuff there that makes me kind of go, okay, well, I mean, like, I don't know. To me, Dak shouldn't have to deal with that, and Tony shouldn't have to deal with that either. It's over. Yeah. It's not a thing. And Thomas just need, need to move on, and I think that just made things a lot easier. Everyone loves a good quarterback controversy, though. So, you know, it's a story. So, so speaking of, uh, offensive issues regarding Dak. What are your thoughts on Des Bryant? I think, I think he's going to be a Cowboy next season, um, and I think this is just. I sound very biased as a Cowboys fan because I, I I seem to be still making excuses for you know all of our issues this season. Um, I don't think Des Bryant is still the is the player he was a couple seasons ago when he had his All Pro. Uh, season however i still think he is a legitimate number one wide receiver i think just a, so much has been made of that lack of a des bryant dat prescott connection that that almost snowballs a uh, you know a little bit that prescott's rookie season a lot of people talked about it so i feel like coming into this season he made it a point to throw to des bryant sometimes forcing it or to a fault which created some drops, some still some inconsistencies. People talked about it more, and it was just so then he feel like he needed to throw it to him more, and it just snowballed into what it is now and culminated in Week 16. Um, do you think Des Bryant will be with the team that season? Uh, I do. I, I don't see a world where Des is not on the team next year, and I think it – like everyone wants to go, oh, it's a cut him or – no, well, hold on. There's negotiations that will happen throughout the offseason – and, you know, there will be in some form he will either take a pay cut or they will say, okay, we're not doing a pay cut this year. We'll do a pay cut next year. You know, all these negotiations will be had throughout the offseason. And then agents do this, not Des. Agents come in and handle this. And that's how, that's how these things are handled. The, the Cowboys have been with Des a long time. Des has been with them a long time. They've been – 
it's just been a relationship where it's kind of family now. They're not going to do some crappy thing and just cut him out of nowhere, you know, post June 1st and save $12 million. They're not going to do that to him. Okay. Um, but they will have discussions about what's best for, t- what, for the team and what's best for Dez. And that'll all be negotiated. I think Dez is with the Cowboys in 2018. And I think Dez is going to be about what you saw this year. And I, I hope he's healthy, healthy for 16 games. He's just not, he's not that number one guy anymore. It's okay. I mean, guys age, it's fine. Uh, so injuries you know, got him. The foot got him. The knee tendonitis got him. Dez is not that 100 catch guy. He's not going to be that. In fact, he never really was that, to be honest. He was an 80 catch guy who could go get you 15 touchdowns. And there was super, super value to that. I mean, it was incredible. It was, it was scoring at a rate higher than, you know, guys like Calvin Johnson, who we talked about as the best in the league at the time. Um, but the heyday's over, you know, and that's okay. The problem is you paid him to be that guy. And it's just not a thing anymore, whether it's Dak's fault, whether it's Dez's fault, whether it's the offense's fault. You know what? It's everyone's fault. It's the injury's fault. It's all of it put together in one. You're, you're a dog chasing its tail if you think it's one of those things. It's all of that. Dez it's is with the, the Cowboys next year, and hopefully they maybe add someone else to make the offense a little more dynamic. We'll see if they're able to do that in the draft or elsewhere. But you know, Dez is on the, on the Cowboys next year. I, I just think – I think Dez is on the Cowboys for the next two or three years, to be honest. Yeah, and it is a a recurring theme with Jerry Jones for people to become family, right? Uh, I mean, I think that's the taste of the Jason Garrett. I think um, that was uh, a large taste with Tony Romo there towards the end, Dez Bryant included. I personally still think he's a number one wide receiver. Do I think he's an elite receiver anymore? Absolutely not. I think he could be an 80 catch, 12 touchdown, 10 touchdown guy again. Um, but I just don't think he is in this offense. I don't think that Prescott is comfortable throwing the ball downfield more. One of the biggest things that I've had an issue with in the past two or three seasons is we don't like to give him the ball unless it's down the field. Yeah, uh, I think the Falcons do a fantastic job of doing whatever they can to get Julio Jones the ball. We don't do that. We're gonna it's gonna be a post or a, a street pattern. That's it. Very rarely do, and you saw it a little bit more towards the end. But in the three years as a whole, very rarely did you see a conscious effort to just put the ball in his hands. And that's where having a guy like Mohamed Sanu for years, Roddy White, but like Mohamed Sanu. And they have Taylor Gabriel that they utilize as kind of a bit. You know, they they find ways to make it work. And the Cowboys don't really have that. And the Cowboys spend just just as much money. I was looking at it uh, before the Packers signed the Devontae Adams contract. The Cowboys go into next year with the most money spent on wide receiver. Then Devontae Adams signed that deal. Now they're second. The Cowboys spend the second most money on their wide receivers. So that's a problem, and that's on T. Will, that's on Beasley, that's on Dez, that's on all of them. So that's a that's something to to think about there. Yeah, and when people start talking about one that cut Des Bryant, my question to them is, okay, so do you want Terrence Williams to be your number one wide receiver? Because if I see another football bounce off of his numbers, dead center of his chest, you know, I'm gonna pull my hair out. Uh, that's you do not want Terrence Williams being your number one wide receiver. So as I think we're have some depth at wide receiver, 
uh, I don't, I wouldn't mind third, fourth round, maybe second if there's a, if there's a really good value there drafting a wide receiver. I would be interested to see how Noah Brown could develop. Uh, he's very similar size to Dez. I think he kind of played like Dez a little bit in college, kind of that red zone threat. Um, I would like to see if he can develop a little bit. Uh, you know, I don't think he's going to take Des Bryant's place, but I wouldn't mind seeing him, you know, get the ball a little bit more. To your point that you mentioned in the earlier in the episode with Ryan Switzer, so Des Bryant has some issues, right? Okay, I get it. So if if we're all in agreement in this and the coaching staff is in agreement with this, I would really enjoy seeing Cole Beasley and Ryan Switzer on the field at the same time, similar to what the Patriots do with Amendola, Hogan, and, uh, and, and those two. And, and um, I forget his name right now. They, they got a bunch of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So I wouldn't mind experimenting with that and seeing that Prescott lights his slot guys. He lights his, his slant. He lights his short throws. They key on on Cole Beasley. They key on on Jason Witten. Could they stop all three in a in a slot type, having those smaller guys and, and Jason Witten in there? I would like to see them experiment a little bit more. That's one thing lacking from this coaching staff. You mentioned it with, in terms of adjustments. I think the same thing could be for thinking outside the box. No, I I think that's if if not problem number one with the offense, it's it's, it's up there on the list, man. They have proven that they're not that willing to experiment very much, and that's kind of frustrating when you're sitting there, you know, when you're sitting there uh, watching them. You can see it, you know, you kind of have an idea where the ball's going. I have a hard time believing that Switzer and Beasley in the in the slot would lead to, you know, a guy not getting open in man coverage. I have a hard time believing that because that's what they excel at. It's what they're good at beating man coverage. Switzer did it all through college. He even did it in the Eagles game. And you watch it closely. Switzer was open all the time. But those guys on the field at the same time, it's okay. You can take Witten out for a play to get a breather or whatever it is. All that's something that needs to happen. Just a different a different look and feel to the offense from time to time. You can still be what you are at your base and what you do well. But you do need to adjust at times and, and throw out more looks. And uh, I think what you said, experiment a little more. And they they just seem to be uncomfortable doing that. Yeah, I agree with you. And um, yeah, and, and some, some great points throughout the episode I think we've made. Before you go, uh, who do you got in the playoffs uh, in the NFL? Who do you like? So, I, I wa- so I'm pulling for the Rams. Let's do that first. I'm right. pulling for the Rams. But seeing what happened to them when they went to Minnesota a few weeks back and Minnesota beat them 24-7 to and Goff didn't have time, I'm going to say the Saints. I've got the Saints getting in, and I think uh, keep your eye open for that New England Patriots distraction story coming down the pike tomorrow. I'm picking the Steelers in the AFC. Steelers over the Saints. Normally, I always pick Tom Brady and the Patriots, but tomorrow ESPN.com is releasing a salacious article about some of the inner workings of the Patriots organization. Really? So I am. Uh, all I can say is there's an infight between uh, – Belichick, Brady, and Kraft, and it sounds like it's going to be pretty awesome. Um, I love it. So Steelers in the AFC, 
Give me the Saints in the NFC. But if I could have my pick for fun, what do I want for fun? I want Rams Jaguars. I think that would be amazing. Yeah, I would. I would. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I can't stand the Patriots. I uh, part jealousy, part just normal human being can't stand Tom Brady. So I'm definitely all for some dysfunction within this holier than thou Patriots organization. Uh, I, I I have Viking Steelers, and I think I think the Steelers pull it off. Um, but I'm really rooting for anybody who's uh, playing the Eagles, which I believe will only be one game. I don't think they'll get out of the divisional round. I don't either. They're horrible. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I, I think it will be um, Saints Vikings in the NFC Championship game. I'll uh, and I'll go with the Vikings in that one. I think they're solid. I think the home field is a huge deal. I think that's some extra motivation. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's going to be uh, a really exciting playoffs. Speaking of exciting playoffs, I don't know. I know you're a bit in college football in terms of draft coverage and studying some guys. I'm from Georgia, live here in middle Georgia, been a, a Bulldogs fan, um, better part of my life. Do you remember a better bowl game in recent memory than the Bulldog Sooners? Only one only one that came to mind was the 2006 Rose Bowl, which this is, I believe, the 11th anniversary of. That's the only one that came to mind was the one 10 years ago, the Vince Young uh, mm-hmm. USC-Texas game. Other than that, no. I mean, that was just incredible. I mean, we've had some good Alabama Clemson, uh, Clemson battles the last couple of years, but that was just – that was spectacular football. It was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I think if that game would have been the national championship, I think it would have had a lot, a little bit more um, notoriety than the Alabama Clemson game last year. Yeah, so who do you have on Monday? Man, I, I'm pulling for Georgia, and I, I, I just think Alabama always finds a way. It's, it's yeah. hard for me to go against Alabama in, in terms of a pick, but I'm pulling for Georgia. Make no mistake about it. I'm pulling for Chubb and. Uh, Sony and Fromm and the guys and everyone on defense, Roquan and Bellamy. Those are, those are my guys right there. I like them, but uh, I think Alabama gets the win. I think it's going to be close, yeah. though. It's a good matchup. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think it's going to be the typical uh, football fans type of game. I think it's going to be a little bit of a defensive struggle. But while we're pulling for Roquan Smith and the Bulldogs, let's pull for some way, somehow, Roquan fall into 19 or the Cowboys uh, trading up and getting them. We're going to need a gas mask tape of him or something like happened to Laramie Tunsil. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there you go. Or like a Leo Collins, you know, murder investigation. <laughs> yeah, right. Hopefully that's not the case. But, Kevin, I appreciate it, man. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. Hey, happy to do it, man. I really appreciate the time and uh, go Cowboys. Yes, sir.